You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast. And for the first time in four weeks, myself and Matt Jennings are talking about a win. Uh, a lot has happened. The last time that I talked to Matt, Gary Patterson was still the head coach of the TC Horn Frogs. <laughs> and then that night, he was no longer the head coach. Uh, there's been a coaching search installed, and TCU beat Baylor 30-28. to 28. Um, A pretty amazing game. So let's just start. Let's just start by laughing at Baylor because <laughs> – they came into this game against their biggest rival. They had lost they had lost uh, five of six to TCU. And, you know, I didn't say a whole lot on Twitter during the week because I kind of – like, I'll, I'll be honest, I did, not have, I did not have a lot of faith in Saturday's result. I thought TCU was probably going to get beat handedly. Uh, Baylor fans thought that too. I just sort of observed their fans talking about it. <laughs> um, all they had to do, Matt, to – be in the driver's seat in some ways and the big 12 title race was beat a banged up TCU team. Uh, they had a chance to get game day this week, like ESPN college <laughs> game day, have a night game against Oklahoma at home. Oh Instead, they are getting big noon kickoff. They're going to have <laughs> Clay Travis down there at 7 a.m. talking about cancel culture and vaccine mandates. Uh they lost to TCU again. Like, this is becoming my favorite bit of Baylor just <laughs> falling on their face against TCU. It's, it's, oh my gosh, it's incredible. I, I kid you not. Earlier on, uh, it was on Sunday because the lines drop on Sunday. On Sunday of last week, you know, the, the, you know, the opening line, depending on where you looked, was either Baylor, Baylor minus six or Baylor minus seven. And I texted some friends when that happened. I was like, Vegas is just like giving people money. Like, how do you not, like, yeah. how do you not take Baylor minus seven there? Like, this is the dumbest, like how, who came, like how, how and yeah. why? And obviously that I was, I was very wrong. I mean, they just, not only did they lose, did, 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 did TCU win this game and win it, in just like a fashion that I don't think anybody could have imagined um, with like running, <laughs> they ran, there was a point in this, it, I, 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 I was I, I texting that same group of friends and I think it was late in the third, maybe earlier in the fourth quarter. I was like, TCU has 37 rushing yards, LOL. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> like, if you would have drawn up the blueprint for how TCU was going to win this game, I would not have been, oh, Chandler Morris is going to just going to black out for four quarters <laughs> and throw for 400 yards <laughs> and two touchdowns and just like be impossible to tackle. It was just incredible. It was just, uh, and, oh my god! Jerry Kill is the head coach. I, I, here's the thing: like I thought, like the offense, if anything, was going to get more conservative. Right. Yeah. Jerry Kill as the head coach, and like credit to him, man. Like he was, he had this team ready to play. They were ready to go, and like they had a game plan that made sense. They had an identity that made sense on both sides of the ball. It's probably the best uh, game of the year from the defense and. 
uh, let me make sure I'm not lying here. This is only the second game of the year against an FBS opponent that they gave up fewer than 30 points. I know. It was amazing. They gave up 32 to Cal, and they (laughs) they held Baylor to 28. Just an incredible day. And you're right. I mean, Chandler Morris almost threw for 500 yards. Like, they were slinging the ball all over the place, Uh, which which brings me to um, the game itself and how it played out. Chandler Morris was incredible. And I feel a little bit vindicated today because during the offseason, I was sort of like, hey, this is this, we got a real deal quarterback competition. We talked about this, down. right? Yes, we talked, we about, talked it. about this in the spring. And we were like, oh, you know, like when we when the new the, the day the news dropped, you and I did a pod and we, we were like, Chandler Morris, maybe could maybe we could push Duggan for this. And and like and I and I think I said at the time, I was like, I don't expect him to start the season, but if Duggan struggles like could TCU get convinced to to put Morris out there and then just like this season like they just seemed resolutely sticking with Duggan and like mm-hmm. we've talked about Duggan at length and and talked about how we think for the most part he's been he's been either fine or pretty good for most of the season I I have no I so this was very unexpected <laughs> yes it was I mean he played out of his mind and I, I guess before we talk big picture, let's just talk about what happened. Like, what did he do well, Matt, on Saturday? And we can't really get a sense of this until they play Oklahoma State, which is going to be a tough game for a lot of different reasons. But did this just look to you like a one-game fluke, or were there some things that happened that you could replicate over the last few weeks of the year? So to me, this is – I feel like this – this is a really difficult situation to parse because I think there's a really, there's a conversation to be had of, there are circumstances at play here that um, it's not, oh, you, you, you only changed one variable, right? We changed a hundred variables this week in the equation. And so it's really hard to, to identify what is, what the root cause of these different things are. So what I mean by that is there's a worthwhile conversation to have of if Max Duggan had got to play in this game on Saturday and had been healthy and had gotten to play um, in a Doug Meacham orchestrated offense that was as just wide open and free as it was on Saturday against Baylor, could he have produced similar results? I think that's a conversation that's probably worth having because I think Duggan and we talked about it all year right this um at least this perception on our part that like Kill and Meacham and Gary Patterson all had a hand on the wheel and it kept the offense from really having an identity and kept you know it, just pick a lane right mm-hmm. on Saturday they picked a lane and they were like we're leaning into this and 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 on top of that Chandler Morris is healthy Max Duggan was not on top of that uh, Zach Evans was hurt and then Kendra Miller got hurt in the game so they were kind of forced to even more lean into like all right we're gonna you know we're gonna just sling it today and so all these variables are at play that make it I feel like really really hard to judge like just apples to apples Chandler Morris to Max Duggan that's my long-winded preface before I get to this point Max Duggan can't play the rest of the season. Like you have to, you have to run Chandler Morris out there and see what you have for the ensuing three games. 
and see to your point if what he did on Saturday is replicable at all. Because to actually get around to answering your question, they were really um, like what he did well and what they did for him scheme wise, they were, um, they did a good job scheming guys open. They ran some RPO stuff that they just like never do. Like Darius Davis's long pass that he caught in the first half to get him down in the red zone came off an RPO look he you know Morris made the right read and 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 hits him in stride and he and he gets him down inside the 20 um he made the he made the right like he threw hot a couple times where like Baylor was coming with a with a blitz and Chandler recognized it and immediately made the right read and got the ball to the right to the right guy he got it to Blair Conright on a fade on the left side in the first half he got it to Quentin Johnson for that touchdown um in the uh in the third quarter or no, the fourth quarter, excuse me. Like he was just, he was making the right reads. He was playing, he was making the right plays within the offense. And then on top of that, this is where the health thing comes into, into it. Duggan has like, since the Oklahoma game has been hampered in terms of his mobility. Chandler Morris might not have, he might not be as like the, uh, the ability to bruise in the same way that Max Duggan can as a runner. And he might I, I, you know, I don't know which one of them has better straight line speed, but the guy is slippery as all get out, man. Yeah. Like he, like when the plays broke down, he was able, like when Petrie, when, they, when Petrie was about to blow up that speed option in the fourth quarter and it was like, oh man, this is going to be a two yard loss. And he escapes the tackle for loss and turns it into, uh, and turns it into a long, <laughs> a long first down run. It's just like, you can't, def- you can't plan for that as a defense. And those are things that like an explosiveness that, that, um, and an ability to improvise that the, that the uh, offense had not had on top of the ability for the offense, like, you know, to really have an identity and do the stuff that they wanted to do. I really felt like Doug Meacham was like, finally, I get to do all the stuff that I've wanted to do all season. You know, um, you know, he, he hasn't completely forgotten how to call plays. I, I still have, we can we can nitpick with with Doug Meacham as a play caller, especially I think in the red zone. I think there are issues there, but um, the guy can the guy can scheme guys open. The guy can can scheme around his personnel's strengths, and we saw that on Saturday. And then when even when the scheme wasn't working, Chandler was just able to kind of make something happen, which is something they just haven't had through the first you know through through most of the season thus far. And I think that just completely changed the game um especially for a Baylor team that was probably expecting to see Max Duggan and maybe had game plan for Max Duggan and so was not you know there was no film on Chandler Moore no college film except for like whatever it was like 20 snaps at Oklahoma in garbage time last year um there was no prep there was no ability to prepare for what he was able to do unless you're going to go back and watch um watch his high school tape and so um I think that is another factor in here that 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 throws a wrinkle in there um to your point i'll be really curious to see what he does against oklahoma state next week now they do have film it's not it's still only one game but now they do have an ability like okay now we know what tcu is going to try and run with this guy what do we do in response to it but he was phenomenal i mean he he had a 90 um 0.2 qbr on saturday you know he was just with the exception of that almost pick in the end zone that that quentin johnson to his credit broke up um he was lights out. He was nails. It was really, really fun to watch. And it was just, I was just sitting in, I was just cackling the whole time. It was so fun. It was, I mean, it was the best, like Kenny Hill had some good games, but it was probably the best game by a quarterback in a TCU uniform since like the Boykin years. It was insane. 
what he was able to do. Uh, yeah, the big plays. The, the, well. the Grayson Mulestein 2018 Oklahoma State erasure there. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he was fantastic. And that's, a, that's another thing. And, and we'll come, I want to circle back to Meacham in a second. Uh, because it does feel like desperation breeds innovation for this program. Oh, 100%. Which is, which is unfortunate because you watch that game and you're like, man, I mean, I don't know if Max could have made all these plays, but it would be nice to see him try it. Um, but one more thing on the quarterback situation to me that's interesting. I totally agree with you. I don't think Max can play again this year, mainly just because, like, to keep him healthy. Why, you know, why are you trying him out there? Uh, but another factor is you got a new coaching staff coming in in about a month. So I think in some ways it's going to be um, wide open anyway. We'll get to see more of who this guy is. But, Matt, I mean, like, there were throws that he made yesterday that, it, it, yes, Max has been hampered by the offensive play calling. He's been hampered by an offensive line that struggles. He's been hampered by a lot of things. But there were also just throws that Chandler made yesterday that I don't think Max Duggan can make on a consistent basis. Um, so I'm not sitting here saying, like, it's over for him, because I don't believe that. It was one week. Um, you did see some things open up in the passing game, though, that I think went beyond just, like, we're, we're calling better plays here and, and allowing our wide receivers to win some one-on-one matchups. Yeah, I agree. They, you know, he was able to, in addition, he was throwing guys open in a number of instances, right? Like, I, I talked about that, you know, the um, – the, the throw to Conright down the sideline, uh, and then he had a, a and then he had a, a similar a similar fade to 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 Johnston down the right sideline. He had um, a throw to, oh gosh, it was in the it was like in the third quarter. It was either Darius Davis or Table Arbor, and so uh, pardon me if I I forgot, but like where the guy came open in a window, but he was heading toward the safety in the middle of the field, and so. Morris has the has the has the ball placement to put it on his back shoulder away from the defender that he's heading into like those are touch things and accuracy things that to your point like we have not seen thus far this season and like that doesn't mean that Duggan can't be an effective quarterback um, within a Doug Meacham offense or at the collegiate level or at TCU Um, it just means that um, their skill sets are different and that for four quarters on Saturday, Chandler Morris um, did, again, with the exception of that near pick in the end zone, did just about everything right that you could have possibly asked for and then some. And I think that's worth to you. It, it, is, it is worth exploring and seeing what you have with this guy down the, you know, down the stretch as he really was. It, it, it's, and the team played different. Like you and I in the, in the podcast that will never be heard because we recorded it before we recorded a podcast last week before Gary, before the Gary news came down. And so we just scrapped it and you did another one and that's totally fine. But in that podcast, we were talking about like the attitude that this team has been playing with for the last couple weeks um, against West Virginia, against K-State. Like they just looked dejected. They looked um, there was a lack of energy and a lack of urgency in the way that they were playing. And you could, and guys were, they felt where the season was at. You could kind of tell, right. There was an energy and an excitement and a joy 
to the way the team was playing on Saturday. And again, multiple factors. I think they really, really wanted to win this one for Gary. And I think that's part of it. In addition to that, I also think there was a confidence with in, in what the offense could do with Chandler Morris out there. Um, keep in mind, like this is a, de- this is a Baylor defense that I, I believe still ranks top 20 in the country in SP plus, like they're a good unit, right? Mm-hmm. They got some playmakers and they drew up a scheme that exploited what few weaknesses they could find. And then Chandler Morris was able to, um, take him to another level because of his ability to improvise and his ability to create. And because of his accuracy, you know, it was, it was inc- it, like, I don't want to get hyperbolic, but it truly was like incredible to watch. And it was, it was just so fun. And for it to come against Baylor, even better. <laughs> a couple more things from this game. And it's so funny because I, I expected to talk for about two minutes about this game on, you know, Friday before it happened, before we got into coaching search talk, but uh, let's do some Quentin Johnson appreciation because he was really good um, yesterday. Or after a couple, after a couple tough games for him, yes, it was really that, nice to see him do that. It, it was, you know, Q can uh, he can disappear on you sometimes, and even yesterday, only five receptions, but it doesn't matter when it's for 142 yards and you know a touchdown. Uh, he had the one-handed catch on the flea flicker, which was awesome. Um, I don't have any inside information, but I will tell you, if, if, if any of the boosters at TCU are listening to this, which you probably aren't because you got better things to do, please, if you guys do not come up with every fake business imaginable to write this guy <laughs> a check in the offseason to keep him out of the portal, like, <laughs> this is priority number one. I, n- I don't know about Zach. I, I feel like Zach, God bless him, might be on his way out the door. That's fine. I understand it. Best of luck. Go do, do your thing. I hope not, but I get it. But my goodness, like if they can keep this this dude around for a season with maybe a re-energized offense, there's a ton of possibilities. Um, but that Baylor defense that you talked about, which their secondary has struggled this year a little bit, but it's still a good secondary. He was a grown man uh, against that team yesterday. He he really was. He the the one-handed catch off the flea flicker, which again Doug Meacham in his bag. He he made that one-handed catch a lot of time one-handed catches are like you can like you you can see like the effort and the exertion that goes into them and and you can see like this is a feat of athleticism johnston made it look like it was easy he really he made it look so casual like ah yes this is something that i do all the time it was it was it was really just phenomenal to watch um, he has the wide open touchdown in the fourth quarter to, to get him up that, that, that puts him at 30. It ends up being the, um, you know, the deciding score in the game or excuse me, they had the, uh, no, 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 that's right. Because they missed the field goal. So they didn't. So, so that was, that was the final score of the game for TCU. Um, you know, caught a couple other key balls. He was, he's just, he's such an athlete. He's so talented. You know, he is, um, you know, to your point, in terms of trying to keep this roster together, um, another reason why I think, you know, these uh, getting Chandler Morris out there and, and, and running the offense in the sort of wide open, free-flowing, free up-tempo way. That was another thing we haven't really talked about yet. They went tempo a lot on Saturday, mm-hmm. um, and it helped. Um, 
doing those things, I think not just Quentin, but everybody on the offense, all the guys who like you, you, you're looking ahead at a new coaching staff and you're thinking like, Hey, is this the place for me? Do I, do I, do I try out the portal? Do I see where I, you know, where else I might be able to land? The more success that they can have and the more that they can build on here over the last month of the season um, on offense, I agree. I think the more likely, um, the more likely it is you can convince these guys that the next coaching staff can convince these guys to stay. And honestly, like now someone might ask, okay, but like, why should Meacham care? Because he's, because, you know, in all likelihood, he's not going to be on the next staff. Well, Meacham's got a, Meacham's auditioning for jobs himself right now. Cause now this last four weeks is going to be, you know, part of his resume for whatever Mm -hmm. next job he's going to try and get. So it's in his best interest to say, Hey, like, look, once I've got the, once I got the keys back to the offense, so to speak, like, look what we were able to do. Once I got to, to, to run things the way I wanted, once, you know, you know, I, I got to use the quarterback um, who maybe best fit what I wanted to do, look what we were able to do. So I think it's in, it's in everybody's best interest for them to, you know, to really lean into the things that they leaned into on Saturday. Um, and I think those things benefit Quentin. And the whole receiving core in a huge way, because it wasn't just him. Like, he's been, like, the focal point of the passing game for a lot of the season when he's been healthy. And when he has been out there, they really kind of struggled to find somebody. But it wasn't just him. Blair Conrad made some plays. Darius Davis made plays. Tay, Tay Barber. Quincy Brown made plays. Like, they just, like, there. it was a far more diverse passing game than we had seen from them for – a lot of the season they ended up with what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different players caught passes for, for TCU on Saturday. Um, and one, two, three, four, five of them finished with more than 50 yards, including Amari DeMercado, who was the bell cow with Kendra mm-hmm. Miller and Zach Evans both out. Shout out to Amari. I know he's he's caught some strays on this podcast before, and so I apologize for that, but he he played really well on Saturday as well. Um I'm rambling now, but no, you know, he, Quentin Johnston was great. Again, another instance where what they were able to do on offense on Saturday really kind of benefited him and everybody. Yeah. Dean Mercado, the only healthy running back on the roster right now, basically. The only scholarship running back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just one of those, one of those things, one of those seasons, but he was great on, on Saturday and, and did a nice job. Okay. So defensively, um, they were better yesterday, like legitimately better. And, I do think some of that, you know, you got Keon Stewart back. He had an interception on a deflection. Noah Daniels played some snaps, which is probably helpful. Uh, but they made, like, tackles for loss. Um, Abram Smith, after he had that huge run on the first carry of the game, he still ended up with 125 yards, but they did a better job against him for the rest of the game. And, you know, when you pull off an upset like this, Matt, I feel like, like, one of two things has to happen. You either have to just – completely take the spirit out of the team that's supposed to win, like the Broncos did with the Cowboys today and kind of dominate start to finish. Um, Or you have to make big stops in big situations. And there were three drives in that game where the defense came up huge uh, that I felt like, you know, won them the football game. One, um, getting a three and out on the first drive of the second half when they were up 16-14 and Baylor got the opening kick in the second half. Um, getting the interception after the block field goal when you're up two to, you know, to keep the lead. And then, hello, Shadrach Banks intercepting, you know, Gary Bohannon's pass at the end of the game to seal it. Um, what did you see defensively yesterday that, that made them play better? Because that was a much improved unit. Gave up 28 points, but 
uh, against a pretty efficient Baylor offense held up really well. Yeah, I think the the thing that stood out to me was the way this is the first game in a while where they've been able to really, if not stop the run, not get gashed, right? Baylor averaged five yards per carry as a team, which is still not what you want, still pretty darn good. Um, But uh, it's not them giving up what I, I think it was eight yards a carry to SMU as a team. It's not Bijan Robinson running for 200 plus yards on 30 carries and averaging six per carry, right? They, um, they were able to contain them enough to where I think Baylor uh, came into the game with the intent of like, we based on, and this was a, this probably seemed like an accurate assumption, right? Based on what TCU had put on film thus far. Hey, we can run on this team. We can really just kind of lean into our run game and, and they're not going to be able to stop us. And once TCU at least pushed back on that a little bit, then Baylor, I think got taken out of their rhythm and taken out of their game plan a little bit. I will say, I think Jeff Grimes, offensive coordinator for Baylor, drew up a pretty good game plan. And I think he, even though TCU was stopping the run well, I think he drew up stuff to kind of help take advantage of um, uh, TCU's inability or, or TCU's instincts now this season. So like what I mean by that is when as a linebacker, as a DB, when your defensive line is really having trouble controlling the line of scrimmage, you're creeping up more, right? Cause you're, you're going to get involved in, in trying to have to make open field tackles a lot in the run game. Right. And so I feel like Jeff Grimes did a good job of kind of exploiting that in a couple instances. Cause he used plays at, he used play action. He used pre-snap motion to kind of get the defense, take that first step up and then throw over the top of them. Um, you saw that on the Dabney touchdown where I think uh, they ran play action and pre-snap motion and Jamoy Hodge just caught, got caught flowing one way and he didn't carry with Dabney up the field. Um, even on the key on Stewart interception, Stewart, you could see like got paused by the play action for just long enough. And if Bohannon throws the ball on time, it's probably a big gain. Instead he throws it late and Tomlinson's able to rotate over and then Keon Stewart cleans it up. So like, there's not all that to say, they're not perfect. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're not, but um, to your point, like they, um, the, the things that were different for them to answer your question, I should say, is they were able to stop the run enough where, um, now the, the, the linebackers and the, and the DBs weren't just ups, didn't have to be obsessed with that all the time. And um, they got more pressure on the quarterback to where, okay, when they did have to lean, when Baylor did have to lean on Bohannon's arm, um, he made some, he, he, uh, you know, he made some bad throws. He made some late throws. He made some late reads. I think that was the case again on the, on that Stewart interception. And then on Banks's interception to close out the game, he just stares down the guy and he throws behind him and Banks is in position. And um, yeah. And so like, and I believe those were TCU's first interceptions on defense this season. If I'm not, if I'm not insane, I think I remember Mark Cohen tweeting that out. So all that to say, when you're able to stop the run a little bit better, or at least not be atrocious against it, like they had been this past uh, to this point in the season, um, even if you're not, um, playing lights out all over the field it opens up stuff for your for your guys to to make plays in ways that they hadn't like they were just holding on for dear life through so much of the first part of the season and now you finally get to see some of these guys some of these athletes they do have on that side of the ball they're not just like you know again holding on for dear life and just trying you know not to get gashed over and over again now they can actually play within the scheme and make plays 
mm-hmm. it was really, really fun to watch. It was. Yeah, I think that's – I think it was their, those guys, those specific guys, their first okay, season. Okay, okay, okay. Season. Because um, they have had, like, T.J. Carter had one against K-State. They've had a couple. Oh, right, 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 right. You're right, you're um, right. But not, not nearly as many as they, as they typically do. So let's move on to some coaching search talk because uh, we, we have apparently some candidates in mind. So we'll throw out a couple names, and I'll get Matt's slots on them. Um, we'll start with the, the guy that is still presumed, I think, to be the front runner at the moment, uh, Sonny Dykes at SMU. The Ponies, they fell to Memphis over the weekend, not their best performance. Apparently, Coach Dykes has a contract extension available to him. He has just chosen not to sign it yet. You know, you got to be careful about those things. Make sure everything's um, on the up and up before you uh, get after it. I know Texas Tech is involved in the sweepstakes also, but Matt, what would be some of your initial thoughts about Sonny Dykes potentially as the head coach at TCU and and what their ceiling could be early on? Yeah, I think I would like the hire. It would not be my first choice. Um, I've mentioned Dykes here on the podcast before and on Twitter before. I think it's a solid hire um, because, again, if you're if the things that TCU needs to improve at um, overall, um, offensive philosophy and identity, Dykes is going to bring that. Um, he's and he's not even just a pure air raid guy. He's a guy who um, has has iterated on that scheme for years and and is and has been willing to try new things. And like they're going to be a fun, exciting, explosive offense. NIL and transfer portal. Why does NIL matter? Well, one, if you want to recruit well, you got to be able to sell players on, hey, you can come and build your brand here, right? And so to have a guy who has done it well at SMU, um, where the opportunities I think are fewer in the American than they are um, for TC, uh, if, if he was at TCU and, and in the Big 12, um, for him to, if he would be able to bring that here to TCU would be would be big. Um, and then the transfer portal, some of SMU's you know best right now uh, he's he's done a good job building that roster with and, and supplementing it with um talented transfers from Oklahoma and Tanner Mordecai and Grant Calcaterra and and and, and grabbing linemen um uh to, to kind of fill 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 out the roster as as needed so he's been able to navigate that which I think is just something you have to do it's something that um um is just kind of part of life in in modern college football um I think the things that the 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 things that to me are concerning, and I think are legitimate, are um, people point out his record at SMU against the top tier teams in the AAC, right? Against the Cincinnati's and the Houston's and stuff um, is not awesome, and I get that. Um, and then recruiting wise, there's nothing. Um, SMU is doing a pretty good job recruiting in Dallas and establishing a brand there, but they're not. Um, they're not lights out recruiting wise, right? Um, the things that I would, and I think those things are both fair. I will say, whether it's at SMU, whether it's at Cal, whether it's at Louisiana Tech before that, Sonny Dykes has taken programs that historically have not, you know, have been either like mediocre or even or, or, or atrocious, right? I mean, he's got SMU playing the best football it, ha- it has ever played since the death penalty, right? Is it uh, not to dismiss the fact that he's not beating the top, top teams in the AAC, but the fact that he could win double-digit games in 2019, the fact that he could still win double-digit games again here in 2021 um, at SMU, if you would have told me that SMU was ever going to win double-digit games in that conference in 2015, I would have said you are absolutely insane. And so 
historical context matters there. Um, so, you know, not to dismiss those things, I think they're valid concerns, but I think, um, I think I can talk myself into, oh, well, but like when you get to a place with more institutional support, with a higher recruiting ceiling, with better athletes, um, I can talk myself into like those things maybe not be an issue. And then you, you wait and see how it plays out over a couple of years and see if those trends continue if you were to come down the road from Dallas to Fort Worth. Another name that's gained some steam uh, a little bit more over the weekend is Billy Napier, Louisiana. Um, this is somebody who's been very selective about where he would go. He's turned down some SEC jobs in the process of, you know, searching. Uh, but there's, I guess, at least enough mutual interest there that people are talking about it. So, Matt, what would you think about uh, hit him possibly in the fifth there at TCU? Yeah, as of right now, as of the as of the field that it looks like TCU is pursuing right now, I would have uh, Sonny Dykes number two, and I have Billy Napier number one. Um, I think Napier. Um, I'm generally very skeptical of Saban assistance because, with the exception of Kirby Smart, a lot of them have not turned out well. You know, Jim McElwain, Will Muschamp, Jeremy Pruitt. You know go down the list right however um i think the the results he's put together at, at louisiana are super super impressive um and uh he's he's the, the he's also uh the, the respect that he has within the coaching community and just like how everyone kind of points to like this is this is the guy right the, because the emulating the process at alabama is really really hard the fact that he's been able to do it to the degree that he has at Louisiana is super, super impressive. When I talk about the process, I'm talking about like put like totally revamping the way an athletic department does football with support staff, with nutrition and, and strength and conditioning and facilities and all of it. Um, to your point, he has been selective. He turned down South Carolina. He turned down Auburn in, uh, in the most recent uh, coaching carousel. Um, uh, according to, you know, people who have reported on him, the reason for that is like, there's a degree to, uh, to, to run the process or as he calls it the journey um, to do that. There is a level of control that he wants that he has not been assured that he was going to get at those other stops. And so he was like, you know what, I'll stay here at Louisiana. I'll keep winning 10 games a year and I'll be comfortable until the SEC job that I want opens up, which probably looks like Alabama, honestly. Um, so I'll have to say, if you can get Nick Saban's possible heir apparent, and even if you only hold on to him for three years or however long it is until Nick Saban retires, you take that and you give him the control that he wants. You let him um, uh, add the support staff and do strength and conditioning and nutrition and, and, and run the program the way that he wants. You let him recruit the way that he wants um, which I think that would, I, I think this Napier, this is the, the key thing between Napier and Dykes to me. I think Napier would take TCU to its ceiling recruiting wise, which I think is the, the, the biggest opportunity for growth for the program. Right. Um, so I'd be, I'd be all about it. You do it with the understanding that he's going to be around until one of those jobs in the SEC joke opens up that he, that he really wants. And that's okay. Right. You're not going, you're not trying to hire the next Gary Patterson who's going to stick around for 20 years. And that's okay. Um, you're trying to make a good hire for right now um, to capitalize on the roster you have right now and to put yourself in good position for, you know, this upcoming 
round of realignment. You want to make yourself the most, uh, the most attractive job you can be um, and the most attractive program you can be as, um, as those media rights contracts are up here in the next few years. And finally, and there's a lot of other names out there. I mean, Deion Sanders has floated about. Um, Kellen Moore's name has come up. Go ahead on Dion. Do, do it. Are you down I for mean, Dion? Do it for the memes, Donati, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, again, recruiting wise, brand wise, interesting, Great. fantastic, yeah. fun. Um, I don't think we have a sample size, a big enough sample size enough of him as an actual on field coach that I would be uh, super excited about it. Um, uh, it seems to me more like uh, this him his name being out there seems more like his people reaching out to TCU and him be, and TCU being like, yeah, like we're entertaining all our possibilities, but it doesn't strike me at least as TCU being like, you know, Deion Sanders. Yeah, he should. He's our dark horse here. That doesn't strike. That doesn't strike me as what's going on. I could be, have an entirely wrong read on the situation. I don't think it's a serious deal either, uh, but. I mean, I, I'm I applaud them for talking to him and hearing what he has to say about you know what he could do there. Um, Kellen Moore, I just think the timeline doesn't make sense for that one. He's Slash, gonna be an NFL coach. He's yeah, gonna be an NFL head coach. He's gonna be an NFL yeah. coach. So I don't really know how much interest he actually has, even though his people apparently reached out. Tony Elliott uh, has been interviewed. Um, I will say Jeremy Clark and Drew Davis have done a great job reporting on this. I'm not gonna give out everything they've said because their information is behind a paywall and I want to respect that. I will say Drew said today uh, that there are three candidates they kind of narrowed it down to. He has not confirmed exactly who those people are, but I think Dykes and Napier, as much as their names have been thrown around, it would make sense that they would be in the top two. And then another name that surfaced today is apparently Matt Campbell at Iowa State, um, which is fascinating because that's another guy who's been pretty selective about this whole process as far as would he want to make the jump to another job? Uh, he's an Ohio guy. He coached at Mountain Union for a long time. So Ohio State has always sort of been the dream job that everybody thought he would zero in on. Uh, but Matt Campbell at TCU, I mean, obviously higher ceiling, Matt, defensive coach, pretty similar to Gary in a lot of ways. Uh, would, would that make sense to you as a possibility? Yeah, I, I think – the higher ceiling thing is the, is the thing, right? I think the, the, the ceiling for what you can accomplish at TCU, given its proximity to talent, and, so it's, and therefore its ability to recruit, is, is just higher. The ceiling is higher than it is at Iowa State. That hasn't kept Iowa State from kicking TCU's butt the last few years. That hasn't kept Iowa State from being a better program on the field the last few years. But then that brings in a question. It's like, okay, if Matt Campbell could, um, could coach at TCU – what would the results end up being? I do think um, it doesn't exactly jive with what Jeremiah Donati has said he is emphasizing, which is like offense and um, in terms of what he's searching for is in terms of emphasizing offense and, and NIL and transfer portal. Whereas um, uh, Matt Campbell's, uh, uh, you know, uh, what has made his teams great has been John Heacock's defenses. Um, and so I think that's, that's worth noting. Um, and, and the fact that he's not a Texas connected guy or, or, a, or a, a guy from the South um, that doesn't necessarily have to hurt him, but um, connections within te Texas high school football is important in terms of recruiting in the, in the state. Right. And, and so that would be something that he would have to build a staff that would be able to do that. Which doesn't mean he couldn't, but it's something that, that stands out. I would like the hire. 
Um, but I think I would, you know, um, I, just like Dykes, I would be very interested in seeing what staff he puts together and what steps he takes um, to kind of um, differentiate his regime from the previous one. But truly, like, like if that's your top three names, we're not totally sure that that's the case, but it, uh, it's definitely, to your point, it definitely seems like Dykes and Napier are the top two in some order. Um, but if, if you throw Matt Campbell in there um, and maybe like Jamie Chadwell, um, that's a top three, top four. That to me seems like I could, I think the fan base gets excited about whoever it ends up being out of that list of candidates. And so all that to say, I think TCU is doing a, a good job I, I was a little worried earlier on in the week when it seemed like after a day they had already decided on Sunny Dykes. It's like, well, like, let's just do your due diligence. And if you decide Dykes is the guy, then that's fine. Um, but do your due diligence. And it looks like they're doing that to your point. They've interviewed Elliot. They um, uh, either have interviewed or are going to interview soon Napier. Um, so it's, it's uh, you know, it is turning into a more extensive search than maybe we thought it was going to look like a week ago, which I think is a good thing. I think so too. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I agree with you on a lot of those points. I think Sonny Dykes is a logical hire. It would be hilarious to steal SMU's coach after they had <laughs> some sustained success against DCU for the first time in forever. Um, but it also feels a little underwhelming. I, I mean, I just think yeah, uh, that's, that's fair to say. And I also kind of, I, I'm afraid they might be putting too much stock in what he has done to them the last couple times they and I think that's I think that's a very fair point that feels very much like a very boostery kind of move well like well we can't beat him join him go get the guy who's kicked our butts mm-hmm. two times in a row and so I think that's fair um and I think that could uh, that coupled with the fact that he has coached on staff at TCU before and both he you know as the son of Spike Dykes has just a name in Texas and connections in Texas, all those things I think are helping drive the train behind his name. One thing that I do think is interesting with Dykes, again, talking about the staff that he puts together, I think he's got um, some some really talented assistants who could who could do some good things with Rashad Samples and, and Garrett Riley. Defensively, maybe he brings over Jim Levitt, but I'll tell you the thing that would absolutely get me on board with Sonny Dykes like I would talk I would get my I would legitimately be excited is if they hire Sonny Dykes he brings over a lot of his staff but he if he could manage to retain the guys we talked about over and over Paul Gonzalez and or Malcolm Kelly I think especially Paul Gonzalez if you can keep culture and scheme continuity from the Patterson era on defense while still um, ushering in a new coaching staff it's going to bring in new ideas and try things and do things in a different way. Um, I can get myself really, really excited about that. Um, and it does seem like if there are any guys on the current staff that TCU seems interested in keeping around, Gonzalez and Malcolm Kelly, maybe Brian Applewhite, those three guys, because of their success in recruiting some of TCU's best players over the last few years, mm-hmm. John Merrick, Ardarius Washington, Zach Evans, uh, Quentin Johnston, the list goes on and on. Um, at their positions, uh, at their position groups, um, that makes sense. It makes sense that you'd want to keep those guys around. So curious to see how much, if any, of the current staff gets retained by whoever the next guy is. But that would be an instance uh, where I'd be like, okay, I can talk myself. I can definitely talk myself into the, into being excited about this one. You know. As far as on the field goes, tough week ahead. Oklahoma State on Saturday. It's a night game, seven o'clock on Fox, in Stillwater. 
uh, Oklahoma State fans all day to pregame. What could go wrong? I've also heard Barry Sanders is being honored at this game. I think they're having some sort of statue unveiling or something like that. Uh, a lot of factors at play this this coming this upcoming week. Chandler Morris will either prove to us all that Saturday <laughs> was not a fluke and that he is just a transcendent quarterback and we had no idea, or he's going to come crashing back to earth against a really good Oklahoma State defense on the road in Stillwater. Um, regardless of what happens, it's going to happen in prime time. <laughs> so it's gonna it be, it's going to be interesting no matter what. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I am much more ready to watch it after what I saw Saturday than I would have been, uh, you know, depending on another result that could have happened against the Baylor Bears. But regardless, we'll be all breaking it down, and maybe by next Monday we'll have uh, a name to throw out there as, as the next TCU football head coach. We'll, we'll see how that plays out over the next few weeks. As always, thank you to Matt Jennings, 